Whomph is Melissa Duck and Tina Russo. When will we see the Looney Tunes Cartoons Holiday Special introducing us to a brand new Witch Hazel? And riddle me this, riddle me that, who's going to buy the big black bat on their streaming service? Of course you realize this means podcast. Are you ready, eager young space cadets? Meep, meep. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello and welcome to This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today, it is my pleasure to bring to you a third time returning guest in Joelle Monique, who is a culture critic and a producer on Comic-Con Metapod with Hector Navarro. Joelle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me back. There's so much happening in the world of Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers. I was like, Jonathan, we got to make it happen. Let's make it happen. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's get you back on to talk about all of these happenings within the world of animation, Warner Brothers, Batman, Looney Tunes, cancellations, uh, guild signings, and release dates. It's, It's madness. It's literally madness right now. So thank you for coming on and let's let's dive into some news. So most recently, we have intense interest in quotation marks from Hollywood Reporter saying that Apple, Netflix and Hulu. Hulu, yeah. Of course Hulu. That's 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 my my money's on Hulu for these properties, but we'll see, we'll we'll get to that. We'll see who who that's winds cool. up with them. But uh, but yeah, there's intense interest for the Bruce Tim, Matt Reeves, J.J. Abrams, Caped Crusader series, which is a continuation of the Batman animated series mm-hmm. under the direction of one of the creators, Bruce Tim. And I cannot wait for this project. I want it now, but obviously it's, you know, finishing. It's still in production and it will be shopped around. So Warner Brothers can recoup some of the expenditures that went into creating the project. So. Joelle, who do you want to see get Batman? Okay, this is so tricky. Batman belongs at Warner Brothers. Agreed. It doesn't make (laughs) sense to me that Batman would be anywhere else. And here's the thing. If Hulu gets it, I know Disney understands how to promote animation for all different ages. They would take good care of it. They're looking for something to populate their more adult side on Hulu off of Disney+. Plus. There's no reason for anything Batman to end up on Disney+. Plus. It's a good bet for them. And I know they're going to treat it well and treat the creators well. And it would do well. They're already a monopoly, and if at any time anyone decides that needs to be busted up, I don't want this to be thrown into limbo again. That's concerning. I don't... I think Netflix, if it has to go somewhere else, is probably the best home for it. It's like neutral ground as far as like the big comic book spaces go. They are desperate for new content that will... Um, keep viewers locked in you know they're really trying to regain some of the numbers they lost post pandemic and i think you know they already have sandman and some of the vertigo stuff it's just to me logically it makes the most sense outside of batman being at warner brothers but how warner brothers could lose such a promising project 
boggles the mind, especially if their whole direction is going to be, we want to be back in theaters. If you have released that, I have to not curse. If you released that in theaters, we would have shown up in Drew. I would have shown up every month to see the next new installment. You could have really made it an event. I'm serious to partner with um, Alamo Draft House or anybody. Like, that's oh what like, the lack of creativity and yes. just taking a chainsaw to really strong properties that would have made this new thing that you're developing really strong. Like, you lost a pillar of what made Batman great in the first place to an entire generation of people right like batman's been great in comic book form he's been great on tv prior to this but it was batman 89 and the subsequent like animated series by bruce tim that launched a thousand comic books so many comic books are born off the back of that show it is for 30 plus and i would even venture to say 40 plus year olds like the introduction to batman you know, because if yeah. you're 10 at the time that show comes out, that's still hugely impactful for you. And to lose to lose that, I mean, it really breaks your heart. It really breaks your heart if you're a Batman stan, as I, I definitely count myself as a Batman stan. It breaks Same. your heart to think, like, what is the future of this if, if that project can't make it? You know, right. it, it makes you pause and, and have concern for the Harley Quinn series that's out that is so effing good and i think for a lot of fans something that they've always really wanted and here it is and it's doing really well and like the cast is really invested in continuing to make it a good thing and obviously so are the writers and producers um the animators the artists everyone involved like really cares for that show and now we don't know what's going to happen so i don't know it's just it's it's incredibly scary to think that Batman won't be at Warner Brothers and I hope whoever does come in really respects the the iconography of Batman just the the what he means to so many people I'm worried about Batman I really truly for the first time in my life I've had to worry about Batman that's crazy I truly worry about the disarray of all of this because on a consumer level we don't mm. have eyes into all of the backhand dealings and like how money is being, sure. you know, dished around and, and separated. So what we do know is Bruce Tim and everybody over at Warner Brothers Animation is still moving forward and doing everything under Warner Brothers Animation for this show. Any outside involvement is going to be in the marketing of it and the distribution of it. Now, as far as distribution goes, that is where confusion will hit because it will be as if, you know, it, well, when the Animaniacs went on Hulu and there were so many people that were like, wait, I thought Warner Brothers owned Animaniacs and they do, but it's still, you know, on Hulu, which is owned by Disney. Mm -hmm. And it's that whole confusion thing. Now, what you're saying exactly of them not being creative is tenfold how I feel. And not only do I want Kid Crusader in theaters once a month, I would love and I just shared a petition to have this like looked at further uh, from change.org. Uh, my friend Zachary Vega posted a petition uh, to get the next Looney Tunes cartoons movie, which is the first Looney Tunes cartoons movie starring Daffy and Porky. And one of the projects that Warner Brothers is actually selling to another distribution platform uh, called The Day the Earth Blew Up. 
And Mark Ellis put it brilliantly that it sounds like an Edgar Wright movie just with, you know, Daffy and Porky inserted instead of Nick Amazing. And I would pay good money to go see this in a theater with fellow Looney Tunes fans, as I know you would, listener, and you, Joel. Yes. So, like, why are they not taking those avenues seriously? That's what I want to know. Because there are so many things that they could be monetizing on that they're not. And instead, they're just going to do the lazy thing and sell it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So here, here's why it doesn't work for me. It, I don't even know if it's laziness or if it's just ruthlessness. You know, the the yeah, thought true. of like, well, what you do when a merger happens is you hack slash. Like you just chop everything up and then repackage. What's not making creative sense to me is this is the building material you would wish for. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if that's, what's really not computing for me. Like I understand some things are going to go. It, it's not that I approve of the way mergers happen. You know, it means a lot of people have lost their job. We've recently seen reports that it's a lot of people of color being fired and they're trying to quote appeal to middle America, which I will just remind people, all people of all nationalities live in middle America. I am from middle America. Please stop saying that that's just white land because it's just simply not true. Um, yeah, and our condolences to those the, that have lost their job through this. For sure, especially the artists and PAs and people just getting started who weren't making a lot of money to begin with. Like, we feel you. And, and all of animation, I mean, outside of just what's happening at Warner Brothers is going through like a wild upheaval. And it's a very scary time for a lot of these workers. But but again, I just say, like, if you have property that you know puts butts in seats, and if you understand that you live in a post-pandemic world in which people are very eager to get back out, why would you not put together, like, going to the theater can be a spectacular evening, right? And it's at a cost point that's accessible to most. Right. So the idea that you would not, I don't know, package some of these, we used to run reels before movies all the times of animated shows, Ch approach it that way. Oh, I've you been know, for an extra. Yeah. Five dollars. Here's time. an animation reel. <laughs> yeah, of course. Before the new Batman or whatever. Yeah. Or here's like we're doing an animation spectacular. Imagine this, parents. It's three hours long, and you can just leave your kids in the theater, and you and your spouse can go off and do whatever. You know what I mean? Like you go get some shopping done, leave your kid at theater, come back around, pick them up when it's over. There's so many different ways that they could have attempted to sell some of these things and i think it would have gone over really well because there's a nostalgia with warner brothers that i think discovery has skipped right over that music other than fox that's it you have fox and you have warner brothers in the startup music that's still like maybe universal too i'll give universal too those three of these old companies that we've known since our grandparents were going to the theater yeah and so the idea that you would not try to capitalize on anything quality that warner brothers has left behind for you to just like i, I truly can't fit like i didn't realize i was so emotional about it i started talking <laughs> with you but it's hard to imagine a world where the warner brothers logo isn't before batman and some people right. felt the same way about fox and star wars but to me star wars always started with the scroll yeah you know like yeah the the fanfare was there but it didn't i wasn't con emotionally connecting until you get to the scroll but to me with warner brothers and batman like there's something about I think it's the fact that you have those like iconic searchlights yeah. in the Warner Brothers thing and over the lot. And then when you think about Batman, you're thinking 1930s, which has a very like strong history with like the studio system, just visually on screen. 
and but gangster then there's those movies. giant searchlights. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All of that is rolled into it. And so, again, just this long linear thread of emotional connectivity. So I don't know. I don't know what it means. I think Netflix could do a good job. I like their marketing team. I know a lot of people who work on it. Great folks who, again, are just very passionate about their jobs. Um, if it should go to Hulu and Disney, again, they know what they're doing with this type of material. It's fine. But I just I worry about the many creators and the content that we love potentially just being scattered to the four winds and like yeah if if their goal is, here's what's most confusing if their goal is to create an mcu why would you not lean into the animated series that made warner brothers so much money that continues to be popular to this day when you know that's mcu like that's the thing disney hasn't quite they just started with what if amen you have a jump on disney in animation whoever gets that like kind of positioning nobody no one gets that kind of positioning you had the opportunity to in the same way that i still think they were foolish years ago before the merger happened to not lean into the horror aspect i think disney's going to have to wait to touch and as we've seen recently not their strong suit even with a master of horror not their strong suit you have all of these leverage points that are not being accessed because they don't understand or respect the material. It's literally my dream job to run, to run Warner Brothers because I would just make everything else indie and I'd be like, okay, it's Batman. It's the all of his villains. And then we'll start slowly searching out with like all of the amazing POC characters that live in the Disney universe and start crafting up from there. It's a simple blueprint that I think anyone could do. If you want to steal it, I'd also be okay with that because just as a like – consumer i just want to enjoy it it's so frustrating jonathan i love frustrating. i love that i know and it's it's really bizarre to have somebody that goes in and just demolishes and tarnishes a brand identity like this because that's what's going to be lost here is going to be you know kids that are like oh i can watch batman on hulu and i don't have to go to hbo max and you know over time they won't even remember you know warner brothers is even associated with batman if this keeps up Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. weird and really bizarre. And yes, you know, maybe that's just us wanting homogeny with these IPs and their companies. <laughs> but it's just so elegant when that happens, you know? And like these streaming services are based on what the studio owns or should be. And that's what we like about them. We're not going to go mm-hmm. turn on Peacock for the new Snow White movie from Disney. That would make no sense. But Warner Brothers yeah. is just, you know, shotgunning out all of their IP to different places and it will be confusing. But I digress. We must move on. <laughs> the, the fact that Matt Reeves and this project are so tightly knitted together is a good sign to me uh, because he just signed an exclusive deal, uh, which is a multi-year first look deal with warner brothers so we not only had confirmation that batman 2 was happening recently but Mm. also that he is going to be within that company structure for a while and that to me is a good sign that he's liking the team that he's working with on the animated project obviously bruce tim is a big part of that and how can you not like working with you know the master bruce tim on an animated series and then you have the batman film franchise and I'm curious to see what else he's going to produce for Warner Brothers because he could dabble into horror. He could dabble into, you know, fantasy or whatever he wanted to do over there mm-hmm. with their IP, which they have an immense amount of. And I am just excited about that. So 
Joelle, what do you think about Matt Reeves staying with Warner Brothers? Well, I'm excited because we know that Matt can do a lot with, I don't want to say a little, but not as much as other people are getting. <laughs> like He is able to create almost an indie-like vibe inside of a studio house. That's really hard to do because... I mean, if we're being real about it, it means you're con- you're keeping executives enough at bay that your creative intention can be secure, um, which is hard waters to navigate. I think his vision for Batman it really, really appeals to me. I know it's not for everybody. Hector and I on our show talk about um, how Hector's ideal Batman is a dad and mine. <laughs> Batman doesn't matter about being a dad if I don't see him go through this first part. I'm totally fine with Batman getting to dad's status, but gotcha. I need the loner who narrates his entire existence uh, to himself because he has no friends and trusts no one um, and doesn't want to worry his butler. <laughs> I just, I need all of that before the kids come in. So I really like what Matt has done. It's like sexy and polished. And I would love to see a lot of other, you know, shows get that treatment, particularly if what he's doing is establishing a new direction. But again, I we'll have to see what Warner Brothers decides to do. So much is up in the air. We know Joker 2 is coming. And that, to me, is a very different world than what Matt has done. Now there's spaces for that to bleed over, certainly. But again, a Joker without a Batman makes no logical sense to me. I know they sort of briefly mention him, but I just I don't care. Um, I, need, I need them in equal measure. Otherwise, the Joker's kind of pointless except for what they're doing on harley quinn which is working i guess what i'm trying to say is this world is in chaos and there isn't a singular synergy i'm actually okay with that as long as we start to define parameters i think something that dc can do that marvel isn't marvel is all linear you're on one long journey you can pick up with any character essentially but it's all in the same space and time why not have like six different Batman movies and with different directors and different focal points? I really love this idea. I don't need the Joker to be for me. It's for a lot of people and they really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that they have that movie to enjoy. I think the cool thing about comics is always, there can be an interesting um, artist interpretation of these characters and getting to see them all from these different perspectives. It's what continues to build those characters out and make them relevant. I just need Warner Brothers to make some decisions. I would be glad to see them move in a Matt Reeves sort of designed universe direction. I think it's good that he's there. I have hope that we're going to be getting a lot of Batman for a long time, but it's only hope I don't know because they haven't told me. I like what you said about having different avenues for different characters and, and different looks at the IP, especially when you, think about it like rivers like you know the mcu is just one big river and you dive in at different points you know wherever Mm -hmm. you want to join and you can go back you can swim up river and like you know watch everything Mm -hmm. prior uh but i like the idea of warner brothers having these different streams um and you can just like tip your toe in here and like you know Mm -hmm. drink from this one over here and you know get maybe there's a little zatanna movie it's kind of some magic uh, she's off on another plane with her dad because uh, the comics are like a little bit too. and then that's it yeah yeah that's what i'm saying like the comics are free wheeling and that's totally fine we never needed young justice to bleed into any movie to appreciate the animation on its own um and these characters don't really have too much room to age mm. right they're all sort of really really defined by their station in life unlike marvel where you could those guys can grow and die and new people can be crowned and like there's a lot of room for 
just lived flexibility that I don't think DC has and I don't really want them to create I'll be honest I just don't I like seeing Batman as old Batman and young Batman I like seeing him in all of his stages I don't mind Wonder Woman being around for a long time and kind of coming in at different points but what I'm not truly interested in is like years of evolution with these people I think they kind of have these like Greek god moments where they're like how many like oh my gosh that's their story and this is the point of them um yeah I don't want these fantastic characters humanized. And so, and I think Reeves has done that pretty well. The, he like really leans into the archetype of all of these characters and it's fun. So yes, more Matt Reeves, Warner Brothers, please just tell us what's happening so we can stop stressing. It's exhausting. <laughs> I really also want to add, I like what Matt Reeves has done with Batman. And I think that you get a journey with him because he is definitely in need of therapy. And now you can introduce uh, Dr. Leslie Tompkins, who we've never seen in the mm -hmm. movies before, and he can be guided and learn to be that father figure that he's needed to be to the Robins and uh, mm -hmm. the rest of the Bat family later on. But I think right now, he, he, because he started out so lost and, you know, on the wrong side of vengeance, it was mm -hmm. really rewarding to see him, you know, see the, the measure that he needs to take to get to the, mm -hmm. the justice side of it. And, and introduce Talia. Yeah. You still have uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, you're in year two, and if you guys know anything about zero year or year one for Batman, these are like very building stakes years. And so I love the idea of being able to sort of maybe dip a toe, maybe you know the motorcycle instructor that turned out to be a criminal that he learned from. Like it's something we could still see in like a year three or four. You can sort of stretch out those younger years, and then you know Batman again has a great linear story if you want to get into it. But I also think there's space for us to like, you wanted to bring old man Batman back. That's supposed to happen in the flash. I don't know if we're still getting that movie. It sounds like we are, but I'm, I'm totally fine with like all these different Batmans running around. I think that there's, oh gosh, I, I'm, I'm babbling again. I just really, really hope Warner Brothers is listening and you can steal any of these ideas. Like I don't need credit. I just want to purchase a ticket. There's a Batman for everybody out there. <laughs> That's Surely. what we want. Uh, so we also have a release date for the Looney Tunes cartoons Halloween special, which will introduce us to Candy Milo as the new witch Hazel within this version of the franchise. This yes. new series. And we've actually seen a bit of it on YouTube that was released after the Comic-Con panel that I was uh, so thankful to be a part of. And I, I cannot wait to watch the rest of this short. It's called Hex Appeal. And it will debut on September 29th on HBO Max. All your favorite loony characters are creeping it real in a Boo special. It's so nice to have a Boo mate. So animation on HBO Max isn't fully dead. They are still uh, cranking out some part of their IP on it. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the the batches get released after this. But at least we have this special to look forward to. And what other shorts there are included in this, we are un we don't know, but we will obviously talk about them here after they drop. So I'm excited. Uh, Joelle, are you excited to watch Witch, ha Witch Hazel return? Yes, I love Witch Hazel because she has an iconic cackle. Yeah. Um, and also because Gossamer is her child, and I love them together. I love me some Gossamer. Ad adorable love fuzzy ball. Uh, so yeah, and I do like witches in general. So 
hopefully this will be a fun return. You know, leafy <laughs> shorts are always a good time. You just blended two different series, but I'll, I'll allow it. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> so Witch Hazel is going to be returning in the classic sense. So it's going to be her, you know, use a potion to change her appearance. So in the short, okay. she looks into a mirror and she's like, oh my God, I'm beautiful. I need to, I need to make myself less beautiful. And so she goes to like <laughs> get a potion together. And then this little spider who's part of the ingredients that she needs uh, tries to get away. And so then it's this wonderful little short about this spider and Witch Hazel trying to get this attractive potion out of him. Look at me. My skin is tightening. My bags are receding. Even some of my warts have cleared up. I was once the most hideous, repulsive, despicably dreadful old hag in existence. But now I'm drop dead gorgeous. Yeah, it's a, it's a vanity, but it's hilarious. <laughs> So it's so cute. In the classics, uh, we saw the reverse of this. We saw Bugs Bunny show up uh, wearing a mask and Witch Hazel getting threatened because the mirror told her that this masked bunny <laughs> was uglier than she was. And she's like, oh, no, like I have to be the ugliest. Uh, so then, you know, Bugs Bunny had to die. And so there was this whole like thing about that. And uh, and then the mask comes off and. And it's revealed that Bugs Bunny is a bunny. <laughs> and then, you know. I love it. And then he has to Wait, die anyway. But Gossamer is her child, right? That is in Looney Tunes show. That is in the uh, uh, the beloved Looney Tunes show, which we are going to get to talk about because that is where Tina Russo is. So let's transition into Melissa Duck and Tina Russo. Have you ever associated those two characters together? No. No. I don't think a lot of people have. No. So according to Jessica Barutsky, Tina's name was originally Marisol Mallard and created uh, for Looney Tunes Laugh Riot, which became the Looney Tunes show uh, where Witch Hazel has the son of Gossamer. And uh, Tina went through multiple design changes during development as it transitioned into the Looney Tunes show, but she was originally created and based on Melissa Duck. So, Joelle, who what? is who is Melissa Duck? Melissa Duck is the femme fatale in the Scarlet Pumpernickel, which is a parody <laughs> of the classic book or film from 1934 called The Scarlet Pimpernel. That is written by the Baroness Orczy. O-R-C-Z-Y. What a name. And uh, so Leslie Howard and Merle O'Byrne, uh are the stars of that film. And I watched it last night to prepare for this. It is on HBO Max as, you know, there's very sm small things on HBO Max now. But, you know, that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is directed by Harold Young, which is very interesting because Harold Young was the editor and apparently there was a lot of contention between the director and this, the studio when they were making it. And so they didn't even give the director credit. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, so they gave the credit of director to the editor. Nice. Yeah, the film starts out with a dozen guillotine decapitations um, as mm-hmm. they are restructuring. Uh, this is after the French Revolution, and they're restructuring sure. and just killing off all the aristocrats uh, that are in the uh, in the French, you know, uh, hierarchy. So it's very fascinating. Uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel is akin to Sherlock Holmes and Robin Hood, using disguises, accents. Uh, he even goes to like boxing matches and stuff, um, which you know Sherlock also did in the in the actual novels. Um, and then briefly in the the newer films, um, I can't remember who directed that. Uh, the Robert Downey Jr. ones? Yeah, the Robert Downey Jr. ones, yeah. Where he was boxing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like it was very brief. And yeah, so he's trying to save, you know, as many people as he can from the guillotine. And it's really fascinating, this story, because you have, you know, like, do we want to save these really terrible people? <laughs> <laughs> like, like the morality right. there is really bizarre. Um, but the character that plays uh, the Scarlet Pumpernel is Sir Percy Blackney. And he is a aristocrat kind of himself, but in, in, in London. So it's him and then his wife, who he doesn't see anymore. And he's just running off and doing these adventures. She thinks he doesn't love him anymore. And so... She's like, you know, like tired of this marriage and like it's not going anywhere. And this is the character that uh, Melissa Duck is based on. Uh, But she's really great because she has this epiphany moment where she's she like puts it all together that her husband is the Scarlet Pimpernel and goes to save him. And in turn, they save each other. And then their marriage is like rekindled. And it's really nice. It's a really fun little story classic there. Classic romance. Classic y'all. romance. Yeah. Action adventure. A lot of swashbuckling. Uh, daring do, if you will. And yeah. So um, another fun fact and Looney Tunes related. So Humphrey Bogart popped up a lot in Looney Tunes back in the day. And Leslie Howard, the star of this film, actually got Humphrey Bogart his career. Like he boosted it. What? Because Humphrey Bogart was on stage doing plays and it was one of the roles that he played on stage that Leslie was an advocate for, for him playing the same role in a film. And so it was this role that catapulted him into being, you know, in front of audiences and, you know, a star. Wow. And Humphrey Bogart was so thankful for this that he actually named his daughter Leslie in her in his honor. So, yeah. Wow. Really crazy. So that's beautiful. So the I think the writer of the Tim Burton Batman movie watched this mm-hmm. or read this a lot because I can see similarities between Batman and the Vicky Vale relationship in this movie where you have Oh sure. where you have somebody who is like, you know, going after not interested in one persona, but interested in the other persona. And it also appeared mm-hmm. in Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever with Nicole Kidman's character liking you know batman over bruce wayne and then whenever she finally has batman she likes bruce wayne like that was straight from this that was straight from the scarlet pimpernel so the scarlet pimpernel is a very fascinating movie and what chuck jones did was he kind of put in his own take on oh i'm gonna pull from this i'm gonna pull from this 
Uh, so there is, you know, Earl Flynn gets a mention every now and then, uh, who yeah, was a, a, a classic actor of the time. Exactly. And he portrayed Robin Hood. Welcome to Sherwood. So <laughs> Chuck Jones came out with a 1950s short called The Scarlet Pumpernic- Pumpernickel. The Scarlet Pumpernickel, <laughs> which is a play on the word. And in this, Daffy shows up to pitch uh, JL, which is Jack L. Warner, uh, the head of Warner Brothers. Uh, his own take on a, a swashbuckling hero played by Daffy Duck. And he wanted to, you know, get out of being typecast as the overly comedic guy um, or character <laughs> for Warner Brothers. Now, the funny part here is this short, along with You Were Never Duckier from 1948, is actually the waypoint for Daffy's shift towards the more money-focused and more greedy Daffy and the fame-attention-seeking character that we know from Chuck Jones's later shorts. You know, that's how we get to Bugs and Daffy going against each other. So in this, there is an element from the movie where the Lord bursts in and he's like, oh, I have this poem about the Scarlet Pimpernel and he reads it to everybody and they're like, oh, that's a gas. <laughs> and, you know, Daffy bursts in and he's like, I've got a script around the, the same kind of thing. It just so happens that I have with me the very script that we've been looking for. Yes, but I... Let's see now, where to begin? Oh, yes, page one. <clears throat> the Scarlet Pumpernickel by Daffy Dumas Duck. The head of Warner Brothers is very interested in like he wants it to keep going and he just pushes Daffy and pushes Daffy until Daffy can't take it anymore and just, you know, has to blow his brains out to sell this idea, <laughs> um, which is a such a 1940s and 50s, you know, Looney Tunes thing is like, oh, I don't have anywhere else to take this character. So I'm just going to off them like that happens so much. Yes. It's just a part of the lexicon of Looney Tunes. <laughs> They didn't know how to end these things. <laughs> Death. But it adds to the comedy. Joelle, you just watched The Scarlet Pumpernickel. What did you think? Sure did. Um, I love when Sylvester gets an opportunity to have like a meteor role in something. I feel like he's one of those, I don't call him a D player, but you know, he's not always first called up. Yeah. And so to see him play like this jealous lover and like this, he's hunting down uh, Daffy, that was really fun. Also, hearing him say or try to say Pumpernickel is a gas. It's such a hoot. <laughs> this is um, also the only short Chuck really... Jones directed where Sylvester speaks. First, I am happy for I am to marry the fair Melissa. Then, I am furious because I despise the Scarlet P- Whoa! Oh man, yeah. that is crazy. I did not. I like I told you before we started recording. I've never seen this short, which is wild because I really felt I had seen all of them. But my dad's such a Bugs Bunny person, so maybe it didn't make it to our, our repertoire. But okay, I really, I really enjoyed watching this. It's so funny. Um, uh, I really love Daffy because I'm constantly somebody who's like frustrated uh, and on the edge of just screaming at everybody. And I just identify a lot. So this was really cute. Melissa Duck was wild to me. First of all, they make her, they drew her like a, um, almost like a duck you see in a window to buy and cook. And that was like, <laughs> there's 
it feels like they're very subtly talking about the commodification of women uh, here. So kudos to you, artists, getting in that early feminism. Um, she, <laughs> she's silly, uh, a classic heroine in that she's almost always just screaming and crying. Just, I don't know what's happening, and now I'll scream about it. But I loved that about her. And as somebody who had to read the book, the ending of this short right. where they're like speeding through and then this happened and then you feel like that reading the book because it's so you're like uh, and more drama. My God, it is a thousands of pages long. It is a thick book. And so I really like when they do these adaptations, the way they're able to condense the stories and yet really hit on all of the major points. It's truly a work of genius to be able to do something like that it's not as easy as it might sound and so yeah overall it was just like a really fun experience to watch it awesome uh so i, I my one of my favorite gags actually is whenever the scarlet pimpernickel shows up to save melissa and melissa just mm-hmm. runs at him and grabs him <laughs> and he goes i'm here to save and then like you know the the tackle happens and then he's in her arms as she's running out of the building and he's yes. like who's to save <laughs> yes yes super cute yes so a couple easter eggs here uh the voice of melissa duck is done by b benedict classic lady old lady name yes yes but my lady melissa was simply delighted i'm simply delighted so she actually voiced um a few years earlier mama bear from the three bears uh also a chuck jones short and mama bear is behind melissa duck playing the harp the little harp. Oh. And so it's like this really fun little Easter egg of like this character is also voiced by the same woman. So I thought that was cute. It's fun. Um, Did she play Witch Hazel in anything too? Yeah. And Bugs Bunny's third movie, A Thousand and One Rabbit Tales. I think B. Benadaret also did Granny. So that would make a lot of sense. What a cool lady. Icon. Absolutely. And I just wanted to shout out uh, some of the animation behind the scenes. Uh, the story was by the ever-present Michael Maltese in these Chuck Jones shorts. Uh, but I thought the story and the way that they condensed everything that happens in the Scarlet Pimpernel was really well well done. Uh, we had layouts by Robert Gribrock and backgrounds by Peter Alvarado. And I know I normally don't say uh, Peter Alvarado because Maurice Noble usually does the backgrounds for Chuck Jones shorts. And I thought the backgrounds here really like were a good contrast to the dark silhouetted characters. And obviously you have to be, you know, pretty different from Daffy uh, because he's just all black. And I thought the way that they had everything happening at nighttime, but you're also able to always see the characters. I thought that was really fascinating. It is beautiful to look at. And yeah, color theory, especially I think in the forties, throughout both cinema, like impeccable. Like if you, Watch The Godfather, which is a film from the 70s, but mimicking the 40s in parts, like, really elegant color. There's a room where everything is green, but the subtle shades make it feel, like, super lush. Um, And I think you get touches of that throughout here as well, where they're just really going in on how can we subtly elevate everything in the foreground without muddying up the background which again technically complex to do yeah and you know so many of these shorts use um technicolor which is a process of having different colors uh processed in water 
and then applied to the different cells and each cell would have three different colors on them. So it was like a very layered technique and it took a really yeah. long time to do, but it made them like really pop out of the screen as you can even see in the digitized version of this. Um, and, you know, it's, I would love to see this in a theater, but you know, that only happens ever so often. So if you ever, yeah. by the way, listeners, if you ever get a chance to watch a short in a theater, I highly, highly recommend it because it is a joy to see the master, uh, the master craft on screen that you cannot get on DVD or in any digitized version. Hell yeah. If you can see it on film, even better. Absolutely. So that was Melissa Duck. She only appeared in that short. And then the team over at Looney Tunes, uh, the Looney Tunes show took that concept and applied it to Double Date, uh, which is the first appearance of her character, uh, Tina Russo, showing up in Looney Tunes show voiced by Jennifer Esposito. What do you want to know? I'm rich, very rich, but a do-gooder. I help poor people, orphans, whales, you know. Look, if you're not going to tell me about yourself, let me take a shot. You're an insecure little weirdo who lies about everything and probably cries himself to sleep every night. Wow, you're good. Well, I guess that state's over. Hey, get back here. Relax. It's not over. But you said all those horrible, true things about me. You're like an abandoned building that ought to be condemned. You know, busted windows, rats running around, a real nasty sewage situation. But maybe if the right person got a hold of it and cleans it up, maybe they could take that disgusting building and turn it into something not so disgusting. And I thought this version of the character took a lot more from that earlier Merle O'Brien version from the original Scarlet Pimpernel than even Chuck Jones did. And she is a, she's a tomboy. She's, you know, very much capable of taking care of herself. She's an outsider. She's kind of, you know, um, she's, she's only with Daffy after, you know, reading him like a book to him, like to Daffy to his <laughs> face. And it's like, you know what? I like a project. <laughs> and she, yes. she's just so confident in who she is it's really rewarding and refreshing to see that in a cartoon like this so joelle did you were you able to watch double date yes i listen you already know i'm a fan of the looney tunes like show it's so, that's why you're here it's so good <laughs> and tina Rousseau is it was an instant classic the minute you saw her you're like where did they dig this character up from I right? was convinced in my initial watching, I was like, oh, well, clearly she's from somewhere. And then if you just Google Tina Rousseau, you never know because you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is an original creation. But man, she is just, she's a firecracker. She feels appropriate uh, for Daffy is like, like all of that chaotic energy he brings just gets zapped the minute she shows up because she's just so cool and collected. Um, and she even works with like Lola as, you know, sort of a best friend count because Lola brings a lot of Daffy energy. The more she evolves, she becomes sort of Bugs's like high level of thinking and, and scheming with Daffy's chaotic anger, yeah. which makes her a really dope character. But then you need someone like a Tina to come through. Who's like, girl, what are you doing? Like <laughs> To really kind of like play, you know, the straight man to her, like, you know, comedic genius. Uh, so she's an, a, an incredible addition to the Looney Tunes canon, which I think 
in and of itself makes her unique because you wouldn't really think there's anyone new that needs to be introduced right, right. like there looney tunes covers like a, a strong gambit everyone kind of has their um the characters that egg them on the people that get teamed up with frequently it's it's all been mapped out and doing really well for a long time so for her to come in blend well feel like she's part of the original canon uh i mean it's an she's an incredible feat i wouldn't have predicted her absolutely i love the dichotomy between her and all the other characters as well i think uh the show creators and anyone who worked on this show that looked at the classics and how they interpreted them to this, you know, way of living where they're to roommates and everything like that is it's very fascinating to me to, you know, watch the classics or, or even this, uh, you know, the origin of this Tina Russo character of Melissa duck and how that was translated into, you know, um, this really street smart, rebellious, feisty duck woman who can handle her own. I think it's really fascinating to see that. And I do see similarities here and there, but again, they've totally revamped the design. They gave her a Rachel from friends haircut. And I I love that how they explain that away with um, her being wanting or her wanting to do uh, cosmetology. So like she was all about Mm -hmm. hair. So she's the only duck that has like human looking hair. It's a wig and it's fabulous. Yeah. She constructed it herself because she's skilled. <laughs> That's my head cannon and I'm sticking to it. Brilliant. So yeah, we, we get a cold open at the cop- copy store where she's an assistant manager and she's chewing bubble gum and like, you know, listening to Daffy complain about his business cards and, you know, his, uh, his checks have bounced. So he's not able, even able to pay for them, but you know, she reluctantly goes on a, on a date with him after he wins after he like, you know, kind of cheats at winning a free date at this really fancy restaurant. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, it's just really, really fun to see them. And then whenever they both said, uh, so Daffy was saying, hook it up to bugs earlier. And bugs is like, no one says that no one says hook it up. And Daffy's like, hook it up. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I say it and I'm sticking to it. Exactly. And then later on, Tina says it to him and his mouth drops. And it is this most, it's really adorable to see the way that they come together over that. Ooh, that's my jam. Want to dance? Hook it up. I just, I really like that. And I thought it was funny how Lola falls for Daffy after Daffy reads what Lola said to read over like what a boyfriend you know, should say to their yeah. girlfriend. And uh, and then Lola, you know, comes back around to being with Bugs after Bugs says, I'm your boyfriend and getting annoyed. And uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> a really cute, it's a cute little double date short. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really like the introduction of Tina. And I thought Jennifer Esposito did a really good job of, you know, so keeping that tone that B. Benaderet did in the original, but like bringing it even more grounded in a way mm-hmm. to where it's like, she is still confident. She is still going after what she wants and she's in control. She obviously has a really good job and she's able to pay for her own stuff. She doesn't need a man, but she's interested in the project. Yes. Yes. I, man, I really miss that whole series. I, I don't think there's been anything quite as creative in all of adaptation really 
I mean, we've seen studios adapt things all of the time and the way they were able to modernize this and make it fun and accessible, I think, to, you know, Looney Tunes is always something I could watch with my dad. You know, it's for older and younger generations. I think you should be able to watch it at the same time. But a lot of the violence from the originals doesn't quite play the same anymore. You can't put a gun in Bugs' hands. Now it gets weird. Um, And so in order to, I think, keep that same level of tension, you have to build these really intense interpersonal relationships. And, you know, what better way to do that than making people roommates? (laughs) It's it's just perfect. It's genius. It's definitely an interesting take. And I give all credit to Tony Cervoni and Spike Brandt, who were uh, very much involved with this series. And... um, yeah, I, 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 you know, it's really interesting and creative. I will definitely give them that. The other short I wanted to touch on, uh, so Jennifer Esposito had to leave the project. So Kristen Wiig is a big part of this show, and she brought on her friend Annie Mumolo to voice the character in season two. And Tina Russo is then voiced by Annie Mumolo, who is also uh, alongside Kristen Wiig in Barb and Star. And if you haven't watched that, highly recommend it. It is live action Looney Tunes. It's crazy. It's bonkers. And this version, like a lot of people actually commented and said that they didn't even know the actor changed the way that Annie is able to just carry on the, you know, the voice patterns and everything that Jennifer Esposito did is really uncanny. And what does this Daffy Duck do for a living anyway? Tell me. Oh, you know, stuff. Stuff. What do you mean stuff? Are you telling me that he's unemployed? Dad, Daffy's a good guy. He's a lawyer. And I watched them back to back and I could hardly tell a difference. I think she still has the same energy. She's still raring to go for, you know, having Daffy as her boyfriend. And in this episode called Daffy Duck Esquire, Daffy is confronted with meeting Tina's dad, who is played by the late, great Dennis Farino. And he passed away later in that same year that he voiced this character. So it was like on the heels of and possibly one of the last performances we have of him. Uh, But he was great in Get Shorty, Snatch, Midnight Run, Manhunter and a slew of other films. And it, it was just great that, you know, this actor could come in and do a quick voice and, you know, be a part of the Looney Tunes franchise. And so, yeah, we had uh, Frank Russo be introduced in this and Daffy is so worried, and so is Tina, about Daffy meeting Tina's dad that Daffy comes up with this whole facade of being a lawyer. You're suing me? On behalf of my client. Who is Samuel Rosenbaum? Our next-door neighbor, Sam. Yosemite? He wants me to pay him a million dollars because my pizza's hot? It's supposed to be hot! Blow on it! They're not actually supposed to do anything, but Lola answers the phone one day. And Yosemite Sam is wanting to sue uh, Speedy Gonzalez's local pizzeria restaurant for his pizza being too hot. And it's really funny how Daffy goes like through loops and bounds, like to actually become a lawyer and like uh, have a really good opening statement. And then immediately it's shot down by Speedy saying he's not a real lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) And the case is thrown out. Um, but in the background, we have Tina and Bugs hanging out with her dad because Bugs has now accepted the role of the deadbeat roommate, mm-hmm. which Daffy is. Frank comes around and's like, you know what? I I love that your boyfriend is like so work driven, 
and he but he's never here and i want you to be with somebody that is here and then daffy comes through the room and's like i'm here i am the deadbeat i have a wig i have a toupee (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm not a lawyer but it looked like bugs was having so much fun with just you know being this lazy oh hell yeah who's like riding ponies and you know just hanging out all day well and and it's a way for him to like bergman did a really good job he he did a fabulous job. Bugs not only gets to have fun doing all the things Daffy would normally get to do, but he also gets to sort of like roast Daffy along the way because he's so like playing into this guy he's known for a long time and just that entire persona. It's really goofy to watch. I loved it. And then of course, yeah, anytime Daffy tries to get into a situation where he's taken super seriously and it just starts bombing and he's holding so tight to the dream of like, no, I can do it. I can be a lawyer. It's so funny. I really like this sketch too. Yeah, it's it's really clever. And I really was enamored with the, the whole evolution of Daffy, like, you know, just taking on this thing and, and then really committing to it. And this whole montage of him yeah. really studying law and everything. I thought that was really bizarre, but hilarious and in character. He likes her so much. And I think that's what's kind he does. of, you know. He just wanted to impress her dad. Yeah, exactly. Which is not something you get from Daffy. He has such disdain for people, typically. And so, like, you can just see Daffy in love. My little angry dude. I really like it. (laughs) I do, too. And, uh, again, Joelle, you're winning me over on this show. The more I watch it, the more I'm coming around the corner. I'm I'm not fully there yet, but maybe by the end of this, (laughs) I will be. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Jeff Bergman, who voices Bugs Bunny in this. This was a return for him because he had voiced Bugs in the, in Tiny Toons and right after Mel Blanc passed away and then took a break and then came back for this to do Bugs. And then most recently, he was Bugs in Space Jam, A New Legacy. So, you know. He's got uh, the right voice. Good case. He does. He does. Uh, so that is our whole episode on on looking at tina russo and melissa duck what is your favorite appearance of this character or these characters uh for you or moments for you and what do you like most about looney tunes show and like how did it shape your childhood that's what i want to know uh joelle where can people find you online thank you so much for having me back this was really fun i always love an opportunity to talk looney tunes especially with you your passion for it is just it's so infectious you guys can find me at comic-con metapod it's a podcast i produce and co-host with hector navarro we have incredible episodes including a recap with the casting creators of avatar the last airbender that i really love we just did this incredible incredible deep dive with the creators of x-men the animated series uh you might notice x-men 97 it's coming back around they share some of their thoughts on what that's like watching a new generation take hold of this property they made and then we deep dive with rosie knight who works over at nerdish you've probably seen her recaps and reviews she's excellent she we talk all things x-men and why storm should be the leader of uh the school after Xavier goes bye-bye. It's a really fun conversation. So jump in. There's so many different with Jim Carl Esposito was on the show. We have a lot of fun. Uh, outside of that, you guys can find me all over the internet at Joel Monique. It's J O E L L E M O N I Q U E. Where I talk all things. I've got a rings of power review coming up soon. I hope I like it. I haven't watched the screener yet. Uh, so yeah, just, just I'm doing the things I'm out there. 
Amazing, Joel. Thank you so much for being on the show and talking Looney Tunes with me. And I cannot wait to check out all of the things you just said. They all sound awesome. You can follow the podcast over at Instagram at This Means Podcast and Facebook. And then OFC This Means Pod on Twitter. And as always, that's not all, folks. He's my boyfriend. I'm his girlfriend. We're boyfriend-girlfriend. I thought you were a waitress. Wow. She's a keeper. You know what we should do sometime? Double date. How about tomorrow night? You guys like Thai? Yes! Yeah, yeah, I love it! Let's get fun! What just happened?